the Daily Poem here on the Close Reads Podcast Network. I'm David Kern. Today's poem is called The Black Walnut Tree, and it's by Mary Oliver. As always, I'll read it once, then offer a few thoughts, and then read it one more time before we go for the day. The Black Walnut Tree by Mary Oliver. My mother and I debate. We could sell the black walnut tree to the lumberman and pay off the mortgage. Likely some storm anyway will churn down its dark boughs, smashing the house. We talk slowly, two women trying in a difficult time to be wise. Roots in the cellar drains, I say, and she replies that the leaves are getting heavier every year and the fruit harder to gather away. But something brighter than money moves in our blood. An edge, sharp and quick as a trowel that wants us to dig and sow. So we talk, but we don't do anything. That night I dream of my fathers out of Bohemia, filling the blue fields of fresh and generous Ohio with leaves and vines and orchards. What my mother and I both know is that we'd crawl with shame in the emptiness we'd made in our own and our father's backyard. So the black walnut tree swings through another year of sun and leaping winds, of leaves and bounding fruit, and month after month the whip crack of the mortgage. Mary Oliver is still alive. She was born in 1935, and she is uh, one of the preeminent American poets. She and Billy Collins are probably our preeminent contemporary poets, um, and, they're, and they're up there with Robert Frost and, and a few others in terms of the last hundred years. And when I was looking up the year that she was born, I noticed that on Wikipedia, they reference a quote from the New York Times, which says that she is far and away this country's best-selling poet. So I got to thinking a little bit about why Mary Oliver is this country's best-selling poet, even over someone like Billy Collins, apparently, who was our poet laureate. What sets her apart from the hundreds and thousands of other American poets who are putting pen to paper, and many of whom are really, really good, but what is it that captures our imagination, a collective imagination that is not um, particularly interested in poetry, you know, even if this show and you who are listening are are fighting against that a little bit, against that sort of stereotype. And I was thinking about how there's a sort of simplicity, at least on the surface, to what Mary Oliver's doing. She's not looking to be cryptic or to confuse us. She's not trying to be clever. She is plying her trade in a way that is bound in what seems to be love. She loves language and, and she takes it very seriously, it, it seems. She, every line seems so manicured, so, so carefully constructed. And I think probably that word manicured is apt, given the other thing that she loves. She loves the physical incarnation of this country. And she manages to represent our relationship to that as, as people who live in this country. She manages to represent that in such a rich and vibrant and moving way. Here we see it tied to the everyday struggles of just keeping going, of keeping afloat and, you know, dealing with the mortgage even when you're a popular poet, right? In the book, The Making of a Poem, a Norton Anthology of Forms, Strand and Boland include this poem in a section under the heading of the pastoral poems. They say this at the beginning of that section. The pastoral is central to poetry. In a simplified definition, it is that mode of poetry that sought to imitate and celebrate the virtues of rural life. Arcadia was once a real place, a small Greek area that developed a pastoral civilization in 400 BC, but it quickly became a fiction. In Greece, the fictive possibilities of the pastoral war, written by Theocritus in his Idols, in Rome by Virgil in his Eclogues. 
Then it goes on a little bit tracing the history of the form. It is not surprising that the pastoral broke apart in the early 19th century. The Industrial Revolution had quite simply destroyed its habitat. A poet's imagination could no longer find that easy rest in an ever-present countryside that was a communal as well as an imaginative possession. In this incarnation, the wounded pastoral became a seismic reader of the relation between the poet and society. When cold, fast streams were harnessed just above Manchester in the first years of the 19th century and the mill wheels began to turn, the pastoral was both challenged and renewed. In the 19th century, the Industrial Revolution replaced the court as a place from which to mourn for and celebrate rural life. The pastoral mode proved its resilience, and some of the compelling poems of that century are there to prove it. And they go on, perhaps the best reason for including the pastoral mode here is its enduring presence, both tested and contested, in the nature poem and the importance of recognizing its old force in these newer forms. In this section, we have moved as quickly as possible to the exciting contemporary negotiation with the pastoral that is to be found in our time. This convention, this mode, can be recognized throughout the 20th century, echoing in laments about urban intrusion, celebrations of urban hubris, speculations about the future of the physical world, right up to the new eco-poetry. That description, I think, can offer some insight on Mary Oliver's poem here. We see that. We see this question of the intrusion of the, contempt, of the modern way of life, of the industrial way of life. In fact, we see the demands of the mortgage um, overcoming or, or the question of whether that mortgage will overcome this beautiful tree. Um, and, and so one of the reasons I think this poem works and why a lot of Mary Oliver's poem works is because there is this sense of, this sense of, of conflict, this sense of tension in that there's a there's a narrative um, spirit about it that i think is 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 appealing and enduring all right so one more time here is the black walnut tree by mary oliver my mother and i debate we could sell the black walnut tree to the lumberman and pay off the mortgage likely some storm anyway will churn down its dark boughs smashing the house we talk slowly two women trying in a difficult time to be wise Roots in the cellar drains, I say, and she replies that the leaves are getting heavier every year and the fruit harder to gather away. But something brighter than money moves in our blood, an edge sharp and quick as a trowel that wants us to dig and sow. So we talk, but we don't do anything. That night I dream of my fathers out of Bohemia, filling the blue fields of fresh and generous Ohio with leaves and vines and orchards. What my mother and I both know is that we'd crawl with shame in the emptiness we'd made in our own and our father's backyard. So the black walnut tree swings through another year of sun and leaping winds, of leaves and bounding fruit, and month after month, the whip crack of the mortgage. This has been The Daily Poem. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll be back tomorrow with another one.